Saint Joan of Arc once said, all battles are first won or lost in the mind. Welcome to the fourth episode of Saint Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP if you want to be cool. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because there's a battle raging in all of our hearts and all of our minds. And if we can create community, foster love and respect and grow in mutual understanding for one another, we will find peace. We will find joy and we will win the battle. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, a DM from Anonymous that I'm pretty sure is a question a ton of you have. Quote, what does it take to be officially diagnosed with a mental illness? When a therapist bills insurance and has to list the illness being treated, does that mean you're diagnosed with it? Thanks so much for checking in with this question. First off, it's worth it's worth it to note that people who work in mental health can be split on the topic of diagnosing. Some find diagnoses to be problematic in that they label people, box them into a certain set of symptoms, and pathologize individuals. These folks would say that a diagnosis isn't helpful, and rather each individual person deserves to be treated as unique, rather than being labeled as 296.44, for example. That's uh, bipolar disorder current or most recent episode manic with psychotic features for those playing at home. The other camp of mental health workers would say that a proper diagnosis helps those coming in to feel like they finally have an answer for how they're feeling. It can lead to them reaching out for support groups and support from individuals that may resonate better with them and helps them feel less pathologized because they can finally see that some of their symptoms and behaviors have a reason for existing that may be beyond their control. I'll take the second part of your question first. Does a therapist billing a diagnosis mean you have that diagnosis? Well, not necessarily. In order to bill, a therapist has to list a diagnosis, and one would hope that this would be the appropriate diagnosis for you. However, that isn't always true. Perhaps you don't have a diagnosis, but the therapist has to put something, right? I'd say if you're having this question come up, ask your therapist directly and have them walk through their thinking with you. Sadly, you could go to three different therapists and get three different diagnoses. However, it shouldn't be that way. What does it take to be officially diagnosed? Well, we all follow what's called the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. And right now, we're on edition number five of the DSM. And when you look up a diagnosis, you find it lists criteria that must be met for a diagnosis to be given. You can look these up on Google pretty easily. But let's take PTSD as an example so you can get a feel for what it's like. If you come in and express some concerns that sound to me like you might be going through PTSD, I'll flip to that page in the DSM and run through the criteria to see if it fits. This is going to kind of be a lot, but I hope it's helpful for you to all see how we arrive at a diagnosis. So for PTSD, criterion A is called stressors, and one is required. So the person was exposed to death, threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, or actual or threatened sexual violence in the following ways. And a person with PTSD would have at least one of these, direct exposure to one of those situations, witnessing the trauma, learning that a relative or close friend was exposed to the trauma, or indirect exposure exposure uh, to the trauma, which we talked about in previous episodes. So you have to have one of those. Criterion B is intrusive symptoms, and you have to have one of these. So the event is persistently re-experienced in one of the following ways. Unwanted, upsetting memories, nightmares, flashbacks, emotional distress after exposure, or physical reactivity after exposure. One of those. Criterion C is avoidance, and you need one of these. So avoidance, like uh, avoiding trauma-related stimuli after the trauma, 
um, like the thoughts or feelings or external reminders, like staying away from a place where a trauma happened. Criterion D is negative alterations in cognitions and mood. And this time you need two. So it's negative thoughts or feelings that begin or worsen after the trauma, like inability to recall the trauma, overtly negative, overly negative thoughts and assumptions about oneself or the world, exaggerated blame on self or others, negative affect, decreased interest in activities, feeling isolated, difficulty experiencing positive affect. You'd have to have two of those. Criterion E is alterations in arousal and reactivity. So that's something that would have began after the trauma or worsened in the following ways. Irritability, aggression, risky behavior, hypervigilance, which means you're just always looking for something to happen. Heightened startle reaction, like if somebody uh, claps, you freak out, right? Difficulty concentrating, difficulty sleeping. You got to have some of those. Criterion F is duration, which is required. The symptoms have to last longer than one month. Criterion G you have to have functional significance, impairments in your functioning because of the symptoms. And criterion H is that the symptoms are not due to medication or substance use or other illness. So that's a lot. The criterion G, the functional significance, symptoms create distress or impairment. And H, symptoms are not due to meds, substance use, or other illness, are present in the DSM for all mental health disorders. And that's important to remember. The symptoms must be causing distress or functional impairment for a diagnosis to be given. All right, that was a lot, I know, but I hope it helps you understand sort of what we have to walk through to arrive at a diagnosis. And you can look all this up on the internet for free. You don't have to like have some special, you know, certificate or something. Uh, next up, we have Molly checking in with this popular question. Can you speak to devout Catholicism in the face of OCD and scrupulosity? Uh, how do we know when we're being faithful and ritualistic versus diving into compulsions? And when the because uh, the line is pretty thin, obviously, right? Thanks, Molly. I know a whole bunch of people have been wondering this because I've gotten multiple DMs with this question. The rituals of Catholicism are perfect for those of us suffering from compulsions and scrupulosity. And what I mean by that is they can be a perfect trap for us to fall into. Allowing piety and a desire to be holy to lead us into a deeper dive into symptoms that make it hard to function. One of the dangers, and I touched on this and I spoke about a previous episode about eating disorders and fasting, is that we can take something good about our faith that may be harmful considering our personality or mental health and come to the conclusion that since we're doing something good, it must be okay. Let's take the example of excessive hand washing for a sec. When Washing our hands is good, but washing our hands 30 times a day can be bad for us mentally and physically. Something like praying the rosary is good, but locking ourselves up and praying the rosary for 24 hours at the expense of our hygiene, our eating, our work, etc. because we want to make sure we did it right, well, that's harmful. It boils down to intention. And this can be difficult to discern, which is why we should all have a therapist. Um, are we praying to grow closer to God, to grow in holiness, and because we're responding to that call from our faith? Or is it dipping into the side of things where we're doing it out of compulsion, a need to get it right, a thought of if we just say enough prayers, we'll get them answered kind of thing. And you know, are we doing it for the sole purpose of relieving anxiety through the act of the compulsion? A therapist can help with all of this, and so can a spiritual director most likely, and it might be worth it to make some rules. This can be a great thing to do. Make some rules. I know, you know, we're Catholic. We love rules. Rules that can help us to plan and stay on the healthy side of things if we have these tendencies, right? Like rules that kind of box us in about how many times we should pray uh, certain things because that can help us stay away from dipping into our symptoms. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm introducing you to Christina the Astonishing.
Christina Mirabilis was born in Belgium in 1150, the youngest of three daughters. She was orphaned at the age of 15 and suffered a massive seizure in her early 20s, which was so severe everyone assumed she died. At her funeral, she was laying in an open casket when she suddenly arose full of vigor, stupefying with amazement the whole city which had witnessed this wonder. If that wasn't enough, she levitated up to the rafters at her own funeral, later explaining that she could not bear the smell of the sinful people there. Yeah, yeah, you heard that right. She related that she had witnessed heaven, hell, and purgatory. She said that as soon as her soul was separated from her body, angels brought her to a very gloomy place, entirely filled with souls whose torments endured were such that it was impossible for her to describe. She claimed that she had been offered a choice to either remain in heaven or return to earth to perform penance to deliver souls from the flames of purgatory. She agreed to return, and that's when she came back to life. Christina renounced all comforts of life, reduced herself to extreme destitution, dressed in rags, and lived without a home. At first, she fled human contact, and suspected of being possessed, she was jailed. Upon her release, she took up her practice of extreme penance again. A cardinal who met with her said that she would throw herself into burning furnaces and suffered great tortures for extended times, uttering frightful cries, yet coming forth with no sign of burns upon her. After being incarcerated a second time, she moderated her approach. She died of natural causes at the age of 74. Prayers are traditionally said to Christina to seek her intercession for those suffering from mental illness and for the mental health workers who walk alongside them. So let's close this out with a prayer. St. Christina, you lived a life of poverty and loneliness in the eyes of others, but you knew that in the eyes of God you were wealthy and had his love and the companionship of saints and angels. Help us to see beyond the things of the world and to realize that we are never alone with God and that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Pray that we remember to offer up our sufferings for those who do not see beyond this material and who are seeking love and fulfillment that they may come to know God and realize that they are never alone. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Our first question comes from at Diana underscore duh underscore peach. Great name, by the way. Intrusive thoughts caused by generalized anxiety disorder and a lack of trust in God is her question. I struggle a lot with fear, fear of the future, the unknown, rejection. And for a long time, I thought my anxiety meant I was incapable of fully trusting in God's plan for me. Thank you so much for sending this in, Diana. I'm sure you already know this, but I'm going to start off by saying mental health symptoms, mental illness, anxiety, depression, stress, mania, psychosis, paranoia and the seemingly countless symptoms we might experience as a result of trauma are not caused by a lack of trust in God, a lack of prayer, or given to us as a punishment for our sins. Sorry, I had to get that off my chest. Nobody goes up to cancer patients and tells them they should just get over the fatigue caused by their illness or just trust in God more and suck it up. And yet this happens to those of us suffering from mental illness all the time, and it has to stop. Mental illness is an illness for people. 
Pete's sake. Let's treat it that way. Okay, that being said, it can be difficult to work through what thoughts in our minds are constituting a lack of trust in God versus the thoughts that are a result of a mental health situation such as GAD, as Diana mentioned. Well, I should say here that most of us have a hard time trusting in God. Most of us question the events he allows in our lives and think that we could do better if we were running the show. And most of us experience fear of the future, fear of giving up control, and we're all praying that we can make progress on that front. Other than praying, our job is to learn how to deal with these thoughts that pop into our minds. And actually, the solution is pretty much the same for intrusive thoughts caused by GAD and thoughts that are caused by a lack of trust in God. A great technique is to break out a pad of paper and a pen and do the old ABC job on them. Three columns. A, the trigger like something that happens in my life that makes me feel bad, making a mistake, not knowing how to do something, someone getting upset with me. Column B, the automatic thought. I'm no good. I'm not good enough. I'm a bad person. I don't trust God enough. And then column C is the new thought. I'm faced with a challenge, but it's okay. I don't need to have all the answers. I'm able to take small steps in trusting God. This helps us remove unhealthy automatic thoughts and bring in healthy ones. But the work has to be done because automatic thoughts are automatic and we've got to take effort to slap them down and replace them with healthy ones. Just don't blame yourself, Diana. You wouldn't choose to have these intrusive thoughts if you had the choice. That much you know. But since you do experience them, start with knowing it isn't your fault and then kick their butt with some healthy replacement thoughts. Next up, we've got at Anders the Giant, great name also, <laughs> quote, so I'm dyslexic and have ADD and essentially can't stand reading books. So I've put off reading the Bible for a really long time, but obviously that takes a toll on my understanding of the faith. Any tips or advice would be great. Thanks for asking the question, and thanks for being so open and honest about how ADD and dyslexia impacts you. As uh, I know for a fact, it impacts many others who might be listening. So let's start out by saying, blessed be God for technological advancements in terms of Bible resources and Catholic teaching tools. The Truth in Life Audio Bible is a great one to kick things off with. I had it on my phone for a really long time. It's a dramatized version of the Bible with actors and actresses bringing it to life, helpful for listening in the car, and staying focused because it's really well produced, not monotone, and really puts your imagination to work. That being said, I want to say how much I recognize this struggle for folks who have a hard time reading books because the Catholic world is so focused on placing value on reading, learning, and being in love with books that it can tend to ostracize those of us who just can't manage to sit down for long periods of time like that. So first off, go easy on yourself. Don't blame yourself and don't think you have to read your way into heaven. The simple faith of saints down through the ages who were unable to read or hold attention long enough to read lengthy spiritual work is oftentimes more inspiring than the theological geniuses who produced those great tomes for our benefit. Never be afraid of having a simple faith. That being said, break things down into manageable chunks. Lectio Divina, for example, comes to mind. It's a form of meditating on scripture that can allow us to consider and think about a single verse at a time for an entire day or even longer. Don't think you have to sit down and read a chapter of the gospel every night. Instead, go through manageable bites. And hey, this is one of the great things about being Catholic. We get to go to Mass every day and have the Bible read to us. How beautiful is that? We'll be praying for you, bud. Last up, an anonymous listener dropped by with this one. The line between codependency and sacrificial love. Where is that line for codependence, and is it different for each individual? 
Oh, this is a big one. I can't overstate how many people I meet who are suffering from depression and anxiety who tell me about their lives and show me quite plainly that they have spent their entire existence taking care of others at the expense of taking care of themselves. Then, when they're empty, hopeless, and in need of support, there's no one to help them, precisely because they are the ones who do all the helping in their family, friend group, community, etc. So codependency is a prevalent problem. However, we hear from our Catholic faith the importance of self-sacrifice, how sacrificial love is the highest form of love. And how many times have you heard a wife get the advice that maybe she should just keep being the best wife possible and offer it up, even though her husband gives nothing back in return and treats her like garbage? That's phony BS, fam. Yes, we should sacrifice for others. We should defer our own needs to those of our spouse. But guess what? It works both ways. That's the only way it works. Jesus poured himself out for us, but that's not the end of the story. We have to do something in return. And if we end up becoming codependent, end up giving of ourselves without anything filling our cup back up, we're going to end up hurt, broken, and hopeless. So how do you know if you're developing codependency uh, or if we're heroically imitating the suffering servant, our Lord Jesus Christ? People with codependency often form and maintain relationships that are one-sided, emotionally destructive, and or abusive. If you think you're showing sacrificial love, but you find yourself in a totally one-sided relationship that's becoming emotionally destructive or abusive, please realize this isn't what God wants for you. This isn't what God is calling you to. God wants our sacrificial love to lead us to become more fully ourselves, not have to neglect who we are to the point of hurting ourselves in order to serve another. Here's a couple of questions we can ask ourselves to discover if our self-sacrifice is falling into codependency. Do you keep quiet to avoid arguments? Have you ever lived with someone who hits or belittles you? Do you doubt your ability to be who you want to be? Are you uncomfortable expressing your true feelings to others? Do you feel like a bad person when you make a mistake? Do you have difficulty taking compliments or gifts? Do you think people in your life would go downhill without your constant efforts? Do you have trouble saying no when asked for help? Do you have trouble asking for help? Do you have so many things going on at once that you can't do justice to any of them? That's just a few to chew on, and answering yes to those doesn't necessarily mean you're suffering from codependency, but they can be guideposts or warning signs about how a relationship may be impacting you. In conclusion, get a therapist or a spiritual director to help you. Self-sacrifice and self-sacrificial love is beautiful, but codependency is destructive. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Until next time, go easy on yourselves, take care of yourselves, and if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry, I'll be praying for you, and so will St. Dymphna.